You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about whatever we feel like talking about because this is an episode of The Mulligan. I am your host, Gibbles and Bits, and with me tonight, I have The Lift and Dead Broke Nerd. How are you guys doing? What up? Hey, what up? we're what doing up? good. See, I'm not the one that typically gives all of the accolades and adjectives, so I, I just I just skipped that part just for the sake of not having to to redo the intro about three dozen three dozen times. So you um, know, I I'm going to insist that you give one adjective to each of us right now. Okay. Go. Okay. Okay. Uh, DBN, you are going to get loyal. Oh, that's Ooh, nice. I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. And. Uh, Mark, I am going to give you traitor. Yeah. <laughs> not traitor. This is not a this is not a light and dark scenario. This isn't this Judas. isn't a cookie cutter anime where one of you has to be the bad guy. I was going to go more something like I don't know. I don't. The word that's speaking to me right now is more like an acolyte. An a- an acolyte, acolyte. My my good friend and acolyte. Uh, my good friend and acolyte. <laughs> the lift. I'm I'm thinking. I'm like, okay. What was trying to pop into my head was find the right leadership quality word, because you, you are like uh, the embodiment of leadership. Do, <laughs> oh, that's very yes. Nice. Thank I, it's I very true. Um, Mark, do you remember uh, in Tesla Mornhold Trader? Do you remember yeah, that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. trust me. <laughs> Mortal Trader is a great card. I like Mortal Trader. Oh, I love that one. And then when when he dies, and then you summons the dude on the other side, it says, "Didn't see this coming, eh?" <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I loved uh, that card so much. It's really good. Okay, really what good what did that card do for someone who didn't play Tessel? Uh, well, that was the two. It was a two mana four four. So it's just yeah. like an insanely aggressive minion. But when it died, it summoned a uh, two one with taunt, which you basically had to kill the taunt thing before you could attack your enemy's face. Four. Oh, yeah, okay. just like in Hearthstone. Yeah. So he was a traitor that going to the other. Yeah. Side so if he if they could four. kill him, then they got some tempo back. But yeah. Oh my gosh. I, but his voice lines were so so good when he comes in. You can trust me. And then when he dies, didn't see this coming, eh? <laughs> so good. I love that there's, card. There's always there's always voice he was lines. He's a in really every good game. card too. It was like one it's of the true. Best green agility cards in the game. Yeah, know? he saw play pretty heavily, which was great because all I wanted to hear was that voice line. I'd laugh <laughs> when my opponent played it. He was about to beat my face in. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always there's always voice lines from every game from our past that just stick with us that are uh, yeah. are just generational because they're so good. Uh, yeah. Like the. Um, uh, the little guy, the three three, that if you in the Hearthstone, that if you damaged him but you didn't kill him, that he'd summon. Oh, grim up. patron! Oh, yeah, yeah, grim patron! Everyone, get, get in, in here! here. Oh, so <laughs> and then good. if you and if you whirlwind and it hit five of them, everyone, 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 get in here! Okay. When they would attack, pile on! <laughs> yeah, pile on! <laughs> yes, that that was classic, dude. Yeah, it was one way to have a lot of fun and really make your opponent mad at the same time. Oh, it was just endless. It was yeah. just an endless. Yeah, it would just chain all the voice there. lines together. Oh, my. It was like, yeah, it would like all get done, and you'd be like, okay, well, not only is your turn over, but my turn is over, and it's now your turn again. Um, well, in Hearthstone's not like Yogg-Saron, like that was the case. Like sometimes you would basically lo- like their turn would be over, and your and your rope would almost be out, and you're mm. like. <laughs> Well, I, there was that like was what happened with uh, was bug. there was like it wasn't bug like that forever. There was like a short time where it was like that. 
that that actually was there for a while when Shutterwalk came out because Shutterwalk oh, it gosh, took even longer than uh, than Yog Saron oh, and, and it was all against the opponent or whatever mm-hmm. or no it was that... all it would replay all your summons so it wouldn't have a chance like pyroblast you in the face and kill yourself which was yeah. the fun of Yog Saron right like, what's gonna sure. happen <laughs> yeah it was right. all your battle cries right like everything that battle yeah 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 that was yeah. the shaman the shaman control that was about mm-hmm. the time that I was falling out of Hearthstone to be honest with you yeah Shutterwalk. Shutterwalk was like, you guys made this mistake once, and I love Yogg-Saron, but it was like, there was a point in which Yogg-Saron was like the best deck in the game, and it was like, this probably should not be what's the best deck. Lock and load Hunter with Yogg-Saron was my favorite. Well, that was the meme version. That was like (laughs) the funny version. For for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, instead of like how the way LOR goes, where you go, you trade actions back and forth, even if if it is somebody's attack token on their on their turn. No, that's not how Hearthstone worked. Hearthstone, you had a rope and you got to do as many actions as you wanted to until you decided to pass your turn over to them or until um you got roped out because Ran you took too time, long. Yeah. So w- things like what we're talking about, it would you'd most likely end up against the rope because you would just continue to do whatever annoying crap you pulled off uh, that so you good. built your deck around until until the timer was gone and and it wouldn't stop like the because the effect had queued right like the rope could end and like stop and it would keep going going, keep resolving even if it bled into the other person's turn Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. boredom was a legitimate win con (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I think there was a today. there was a I was streaming lor and, and i had a guy who roped me in expedition so many times that i just finally was like i've literally been playing this game for 30 minutes and it's not over and i'm just done like i just can't he wrote me every single every opportunity he had he wasted his whole career <laughs> i was like are you joking he was probably like on the bus or something i don't know but yeah. it was really frustrating or playing three games annoying. at the same time on stream yeah. that could have i used been, to do maybe. that I used to do that on stream, play two games at the same time. I'd play, uh, play Tesla and Hearthstone yep. at the same time. I actually got used to get a lot of views when I would do that, but well, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, it always seemed very difficult. To watch. It was tough. It was tough. But usually I, I, I would also keep the record on the screen too, which is fun. Yeah. But we're actually not talking about Hearthstone. That's not the main topic for today. We are not. No. We are here talking about uh, something we have been wanting to bring up for a while. Uh, all three of us really enjoy the good old-fashioned game of Dungeons and Dragons. And we are actively playing a campaign together, uh, the three of us, along with a couple of our other, our other good friends in the Discord of, uh, Legends, of uh, Legends cast. So we thought it would be fun to uh, maybe get the, the juices flowing for some of our other um, listeners of Legends cast. And if you haven't already played D&D, maybe we could help you figure out uh, some builds or some ideas and, and help you maybe understand about how to build a character because I feel like that's the hardest part to getting started with D&D is one finding a group uh, that you can play yeah that's that's truly that's probably the hardest the hardest part, hardest, hardest part. <laughs> yeah, but once that, you have that group you've got so many different options of ways to go between combinations of races and classes uh, that you can play and then you start getting into subclasses within the specific classes because you usually kind of pick a subclass that you want to play even though you might not be there at level one before you start the campaign so we thought maybe we can give our our listener base a couple ideas about uh, some fun and creative builds that we like uh, that we've come up with that might be interesting to play maybe you end up building a character if you if you jump into a campaign where they're like hey let's play it at fourth level or fifth level um, this you can eventually build up to this. All of the characters that we've created 
are at eighth level. So we've each build, built our own different D&D character. Um, not so much all of the nitty-gritty details like a name and, and some yeah. of the skill proficiencies yeah. no, 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 and things, no, 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 but uh, the overall archetype and the way you'd want to play it and what the goal of the class is and why some of the intricate features that we pick in some of these decision trees, if you will, kind of fit together. So I will give it over to, uh, to uh, DBN. If you want to go ahead, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about the build you made? Yeah, so uh, so I decided to... Uh, I, I started off thinking about what I wanted to take advantage of, what I wanted to highlight, and I kind of wanted to highlight a effective and flexible support build uh, because I feel like that's something that a lot of people overlook when they first start out, and albeit probably for a good reason, right? Because when you're first getting started, there's a lot to learn, right? You, you know, you, you end up coming in and... the exact opposite of what you did. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. As opposite as you can get. Yeah, go ahead. You know, but but so when you first start, you know, you, you tend to gravitate towards things that are, are a little bit easier to play. You know, barbarians, fighters, things that uh, you can learn. They're powerful, but you can learn the mechanics quickly and, and you don't have to to really research the in-depth uh, mechanics or, or keep track of a bunch of spells and stuff. So I said, you know what? I'm going to offer up an idea for the players that have played a lot of the more conventional things and are ready to take a step into a more uh, complicated and interesting direction and allow the new players in their group, now that they're more experienced, to play those powerhouse, axe-swinging, barbarian sons of guns. So I have created a build that I'm calling the Arcane Culinarian. Oh, and what this in the world, yes, the arcane culinarian and the idea of this, this is uh, a build that is focusing on support features, especially healing and buffing through the use of handing out uh, treats and potions. Um, oh uh, the uh, the overall build uh, will be really, really optimal for short resting. So if you're going through uh, dungeon calls and stuff like that, there's a lot of utility in short rests. Um, to really help out the party. There's plenty of utility options for social and exploration scenarios. The damage is low, but consistent. You will always be able to do a solid threshold of damage, which for um, uh, spellcasters and especially support characters, uh, that is generally like, you know, something where like a lot of things either are high roll or low roll, and this will help with that. Um, and uh, I will say the downside to this is that you'll want to be confident in understanding some of the mechanics because it there's a lot to keep track of if you really want to maximize its utility so the first step is you're going to start with the variant human this is allowing you to pick up a uh feat at level one and uh and that that's really cool i, I love the variant human because feats are really interesting ways to kind of define your character so i picked the chef this is a new one that came out in tasha's cauldron of everything uh, one of the newer sort of books that adds to player options and basically what it does is during short rests, uh, you can cook a bunch of food for people. And uh, basically, if they eat the food, uh, as long as they spend one hit dice, they get to regain extra uh, 1d8 hit points, which ideally allows them to conserve some hit dice for future short rests if they need it. Uh, but more than that, the cooler part is um, you get to, when you finish a long rest, you get to cook a bunch of treats and hand those treats out to people, they can use bonus actions to get temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. So at level one, you'll be able to uh, give people treats, uh, uh, two have? treats that can give them two temporary hit points, which at level one, when your max hit points are like 10, 
two hit points is very, very good. It's like good um, and of course, on steroids. That could be yes. the difference between like being one shot or not being one shot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And of course, the uh, in, in conjunction with the short resting uh, ability to help them heal, if you only have one hit dice, you heal again, you know, so it doesn't scale as hard into late game, but it really is going to help your early levels. Um, so basically, the, the, the first bit of this build is easy. You're just going to go Artificer and you're going to jam Artificer levels all the way up to level five. Um, hopefully you have uh, in your stats, you, you've got about a 16 intelligence uh, based on how you do your point builds at the beginning. And at level four, you're not going to take a feat. You're just going to jam two more points into Int. Um, but then uh, at uh, level three, you're going to take the Alchemist subclass. So this is really like the core of the build. And what that allows you to do is at the end of a long rest, you get to craft a uh, random potion from this like concoction list. Um, and that one, you know, it, it's not super easy to utilize the random potion but you can also exchange spell slots to pick a potion to create from that and it's got oh. all sorts of stuff from uh you know one uh you know give somebody plus one armor class uh give somebody a fly speed uh it's a slow fly wow. speed but hey at level three being able to say hey look we can go you know take this potion and go fly up to that window and climb in you know like there's so many utility options and then of all course right. At level three, you come against so many few flying uh, enemies. Like mm -hmm, the exactly. wizard can just drink it and be like float up thirty feet and just shoot everybody with magic missile. And oh, now can't absolutely. Die. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You could have your barbarian actually fly up to the thing and hit it potentially. It, it's only a fly speed of ten, but you get my point. Um, and uh, and so there's there's a lot of options there, but the big one, the one you'll probably use the most, is just a simple. It's a healing concoction, and it's two d four plus your intelligence. Uh, modifier which is a better healing potion and you can yeah. craft those as much as you want and as much as you have spell slots to exchange for them um and of course it'll follow the potion drinking rules and those things will wear off after your long rest okay so they only last for a short time they only last for eight hours or however long until you rest um but but it's it's massively useful and until then you're basically going to be using cantrips you know so you've got like poison spray and stuff like that but i'll get into that in a second but um we go five levels in Artificer, and uh, then you're going to pick up some Artificer infusions. You get to learn four, uh, but you only get to use two at a time. And those are basically, if you've played a Warlock, they're like Eldritch Invocations. They basically are like big, powerful uh, tools, but you can put them on any items. So you can actually buff your allies' items. You can give somebody shield plus one armor, or you can give somebody's uh, sword an extra you know, bit of damage. And there's a lot of options. You can even make a bag of holding. Um, which is really, really useful for parties. Maybe, but the, can you share real quick where you find the Artif Artificer app? Because if you pick up the player's handle, yes. you're not going to have access to that right away. Yeah, you can actually buy it. Uh, if you use D&D Beyond, you can just unlock it separate. You don't have to buy the whole book. Um, you can either find it in the Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, I think, or better use of your money is going to be in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. That one's in there too. Um, really, that's going to be, if you're just a player, you definitely want to pick up Tasha's for some awesome options and stuff like that. Yeah, really. Um, but the, but the only, uh, infusion that actually matters here is getting the homunculus servant. And I'll explain why in a second. Um, so the last bit of the build for levels is after you hit level five, you're going to take three levels in wizard. And okay. the reason you're doing that is it will limit your growth as an alchemist, but you get some crazy stuff out of it, specifically taking advantage of the multi-class spell casting rules. So right now as a artificer, um, you are basically what's known as a half caster and, and really you're a little bit better than the other half casters being Rangers. 
uh, and paladins. Um, and at level uh, eight, for example, um, you would only know uh, four first level spells, or you'd only have four first level spell slots and three second level spell slots. And uh, the way things work is, and, and Artificer is the only one compared to Ranger uh, and uh, Paladin, but you take the number of levels in that class and have them. For Ranger and Paladin, you'd have to round down. But for Artificer, you actually round up. And so you have five levels, and it would be more advantageous to have an odd number than to go an extra level into an even. So you'll round up to get three, and then you'll take three levels of Wizard and add those. And that is the amount of spell slots you'll have for a multi-class. So you'll basically have the spell slots of a sixth-level Wizard. Yep. But you just won't know those high-level spells. So you'll be able to have, as an 8th level character, uh, 3 thirds, 3 seconds, and 4 firsts, which, when you're exchanging them constantly for potions, uh, those 3 extra slots are well worth the 3 levels. Plus, you can pick up Order of War subclass and get Arcane Recovery features to recharge your uh, spells off of short rests. You can get a bonus to initiative. If you want to do Divination, you can do some really cool stuff there. It's pretty... Like you got a lot of options of how you want to, what subclass you want for your wizard. But at the end of the day, you're picking up uh, a ton of really cool things like uh, bonus spell slots and stuff to turn into uh, to turn into potions. And the last little thing I'm going to say here is for damage. Uh, at level five in Artificer, you get a really cool feature, um, which is called uh, Alchemical Savant, which means whenever you cast an alchemist spell. Um, and uh, and it deals fire, acid, necrotic, or poison damage, you get a damage bonus equal to your intelligence modifier. So mm. uh, even though you have lower level spells, um, you can still use a third level spell slot and upgrade first level spells and then be adding your uh, four damage to any time you, uh, you do a damaging spell or cantrip. So there's just a... Just that that baseline for damage is going to be a lot higher than a lot of spellcasters who would just be rolling. And sometimes, if you do a fireball, you can roll a one. You know, so so you know the cantrip casting is going to be a lot more powerful. Um, and uh, and the last little thing that I thought was cool is you can pick up find familiar with wizard, That's so you can actually have a familiar and a homunculus servant to go and utilizing the action economy, technically speaking, they don't get to attack, but they still get to move independently. And you can use a bonus action to give your homunculus an action who can feed a potion to one of your guys. So you can literally have your homunculus servant and your fine familiars coming back and forth to you like little supply carriers, taking out potions and buffs to the rest of your allies. That is uh, so cool. Yeah, right? I, I just thought that was such a fun idea. Um, and I like to imagine that you would have one spectral owl and one robot owl uh, on each of your shoulders uh, to fairy treats to your allies. They're like very tasteful and like flavorful, like like warm, like field medics, like war mm -hmm. medics. Like, yeah. That's, and and what, what, why this is so cool, if you don't have a lot of experience in playing D&D uh, with something like this, why this is so cool is because it typically would take, let's say uh, Deviant's character is the one who simply on a very unflavorful way created a potion and then ran over and said, here, take this potion and handed it to, to one of his teammates who he can do that for as an object interaction for free. Um, his teammate has to essentially waste uh, either their bonus action um, to drink the potion themselves 
or waste an entire action to feed it to somebody else if they go down. So to have his servant, to be able to turn his bonus action into an action and be able to like give a potion or like use a, use, use a, a potion or a buff of some sort on an ally and then not have to waste any of their action economy is huge. Because yep. you cannot, the less time that you have to focus looking around and, and maintaining and like bandaging wounds and focusing on trying to maintain yourself, and the more time you can spend focusing on your opponent that you're in combat with, the more effective your whole party is. That's such a very big part of when D&D combat looks like. So that is a really, really like mechanically interesting and unique thing to be able to do. Yeah, and and rules is written. The uh the homunculus requires a bonus action to take an action, in, which can be used to attack. Um, so you could actually take the dragon's breath spell, attach it to the homunculus, and the homunculus can on after like on other turns go around breathing fire or acid or whatever, um, and uh, utilizing that damage. Uh, while you use your actions on other things. And the Find Familiar actually can fully take actions. It just can't attack. So what you really need to do to maximize this build, obviously, is you need to balance how many like treats and potions and stuff am I making in advance and storing. And then you're going to be like handing some of these things to your familiars, hopefully before battle. But with your big bonus to initiative off of your order of war, which is what I chose, you don't have to do that. You can then, if you get into a battle, whether you're surprised or not surprised, you can take a look around and see, okay, where do I need to send my little field medics so they're in the right position to hand the right things to the right people at the right time? Wow. I love it. I'd play it. It would be yep. super, it'd be stupid fun. What's, what's hilarious <laughs> that we were just talking about Hearthstone before this is yeah. as you're talking about this, like, uh, baker creationist kind of uh, yeah <laughs> all i can think of is the hearthstone card that came out a long time ago i think it was either with karazan or came out with the uh, um the, the the knights of whatever it was mm -hmm. um set the refreshment vendor yes the refreshment vendor <laughs> refreshment vendor you play him and he throws like a chicken leg at both yeah. people and the heels for four health on each that's the only thing i could see in my head the entire yeah. time you're talking I'm like that's what this is this is this in D. &D. yeah that's so good. yeah that's so good. well i'm going to uh we're all going to at the end of this uh type up our character sheets and sometime in the next week we're going to post them on the discord so if you're interested in seeing our builds and uh and uh, if you want to just snag it and steal it for your own game, I mean, they're all going to be at level eight, but you can get some inspiration from it uh, or just look at it and uh, and just be amused. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll post this up. But uh, but next, I think uh, who, who do we have next? Who's going to go next? Gibby, Gibby, I think is going to go through his, his build next. All right, Gibby, take it away, man. All right. Who's going to be in the party with my with my fancy cook? With your fancy cook is someone else who may or may not need a buff, but he's also going to be handing out buffs from distance as well, of sorts. Um, so I wanted to pick something that I, I, I that was a little bit more like friendly. So when I when I think about um, new players, right, I thought about the new player experience, and it is always so much easier to play a melee big guy damage dealer who doesn't have to talk a lot, who doesn't have to worry about tracking spells and all of that. And I wanted to do something that, I don't know, I felt was a little bit more friendly to understanding the way that spell slots and spells and action economy works and be able to get a handle of that from the jump. 
So I actually created uh, the Twilight Cleric, uh, a, a, a Twilight Cleric class that the whole goal of this class is to one, have a really big weapon that you can still do damage with because that's one of the best parts about when you're learning how to play D&D is being able to pump big damage numbers into, into a bad guy and, and finish them off. Uh, so I wanted the character to still be able to do damage, which not all clerics can, but be really, really useful and help understand between actions, bonus actions, reactions, and all that, and be able to make sure that you can get the most out of every turn. So this Twilight Cleric class... Uh, I also chose the variant human for the race, but I was considering Furbolg at first because I really liked the the ability as a cleric. You want to have high whiz, um, high wisdom for because that's your spell casting modifier, um, uh, class or that's your your skill for spell casting. And then you either want like strength or you want con, um, so that way you can kind of stay alive or do some 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 heavier things. So this is a high whiz and high strength and con, and pretty much dumps everything else. Um, so I, this character is sitting at an 18 wisdom, but only after getting to level eight and kind of using, uh, a couple extra points to, to buff up the stats. But, um, what this build tries to do is you have a heavy crossbow as your weapon. Heavy crossbow is a, is a very powerful weapon that you have to have a, above a certain strength score typically, um, to try to play it, um, and it does a 1d10 damage, which is pretty good, especially out the gate, because you'll have that crossbow at level one. So being able to hit something from distance for 1d10, be able to pump in a lot of damage is really is really impactful if your character can handle it. And the reason I chose the variant human is because this is built around utilizing a feat called Sharpshooter. Sharpshooter is a really fun feat. It's kind of high rolly, so as long as you understand and this is maybe some of the parts about D&D that I enjoy. Uh, DBN and Mark can tell you is that I tend to roll pretty well whenever we play sessions. It's kind of uncanny and dumb sometimes. And infuriating. Uh, as a DM, <laughs> yeah, maybe. He rolls a lot of 20s. Yeah. So, yep. um, he rolls this, really well. This build is meant to say, hey, I really want to do a lot of things, like a lot of damage, and sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And the times that it won't, I'm totally cool with that. I, I when it hits this will be really fun when it won't it'll be flavorful and still fun and that's part of D&D so the sharpshooter feat reads basically says as I'm going to make an as you make an attack with a weapon a ranged weapon you can you can choose to take a negative five penalty to your attack roll and if you still hit on the attack roll you do an extra 10 damage to the attack it's not something that requires an action or a bonus action you just declare it as you are making the attack so you can do it as many times as you want to if you have multi-attack and you take sharpshooter you can you can declare sharpshooter on on both of the attacks or one of them or none of them but the heavy crossbow has a loading mechanic so it says you can only fire this weapon one time per turn which as this build wants to do, you only really want to fire one time per turn because the clerics don't ever get access to multi-attack unless you do some funky stuff. So the goal is to always use your action if you can, or at least most times, to use your heavy crossbow, use sharpshooter, and try to hit and get big pumps of damage in, and then utilize your early game spells and all of your spells as your bonus actions so that way you're always making the most out of your turn. That way you're understanding... These are good actions I can take or bonus actions I can take with my spells. My main action is always going to be trying to fire and staying alive and pumping in damage from far. Uh, the Twilight Cleric gets a really good um, access. gets really good access to some some very cool uh, tools early on. 
Uh, the Vigilant Blessing, uh, you get that at first level. Basically, it says uh, you can give one creature you touch advantage on the next initiative. So you can, uh, you and you, or either you or one of your party members, can get out ahead early in the initiative and try to get going early so you can kind of assess if you know what your opponent's going to look like. Um, who might in your party might need to go first. And the Channel Divinity, so Channel Divinity is something that you get at second level as a cleric, depending on what subclass you choose that um, will have any sort of benefit. And this one particularly says that you have a 30-foot radius of light that emanates around you. Um, or, or, I'm sorry, you have a 30-foot sphere of twilight that emanates around you. It lasts for a minute, um, and it does uh, some healing properties to it. Um, you get to either give it, uh, give a creature 1d8 temporary hit points or end an effect that it's being uh, charmed or frightened by. So just kind of some status-neutralizing things or just keeping your, uh, your, your party alive. Um, so at early game, you get a bunch of, uh, spells, uh, like I chose a lot of, all of my first level spells that I chose are bonus actions, except for the ones that I was given as a part of Twilight Cleric, like Fairy Fire, which is also really cool where you get to shed kind of like a, um, this kind of multicolored light all over your opponents. So that way you're, you and all of your party have advantage on your attacks, which can help offset some of the, the, the disadvantages of Sharpshooter. If you have advantage on the attack, but you're still taking a negative five penalty, odds are that it's going to kind of offset some of those negative penalties, and you'll hopefully get to still pump in that big damage. But all of my first level spells are things like healing words, so doing a little a little extra healing, bane and shield of faith, which are essentially like the kind of the antithesis of each other in a way. Bane saying, "Hey, I'm going to mark three enemies, and you have to do." They have to take a, a penalty to all of their stuff. Shield of Faith protecting some of your your guys. Sanctuary saying protect another protection spell. So it's a lot of I'm going to do damage from far, and then I'm going to continue to spread out all of these bonus actions to all of my teammates and protect them and heal them. You're always making good uses of your turns. You're always utilizing your big weapon that you got and trying to maximize some really good high rolls while you do that. Uh, some things that I chose as I went up in the levels with this is um, uh, at fourth level, I could shoot, could have chosen to either take a, a bonus uh, to some stats or a feat, whatever we wanted to do. I chose a feat and I kind of went a different way with my feat. I actually chose what's called the meta magic adept. Uh, you learn to, so meta magic is, is something that is utilized by sorcerers where you basically get a pool of points and you have different, kind of skills almost in a way that you can utilize with your points. Um, and you can kind of do kind of tricky things when you're utilizing your spells. So for example, the two that I took, I get two um, with this uh, with this feat, I get two sorcery points and I get to pick two of the metamagic types. I chose twin spell. So when I'm utilizing these bonus actions, twin spell says cast spells on two targets uh, or you you can multiply a spell onto a second target if it's if it's only targeting a single uh, a single enemy or a single uh, ally. So anytime I'm handing on a bonus action of Shield of Faith to try to give somebody a plus two AC, I can Ooh. spend a point at level one and twin that, and now I'm giving two of my allies a plus two. Love that. That's so cool. Or uh, and or let's say I'm trying to bane things. I can or I can't use it on bane because it's got to target multiple things. But I've got other bonus actions and things that I can do, or either other actions. Um, and I also chose quicken spell. So I did take at higher level some action spells that are really powerful. Well, maybe I can burn 
um, two points of one of my, uh, my my two sorcery points and turned that action into a bonus action, still allowing me to hit with my big weapon and do a big action spell to utilize my bonus action. Oh, still keeping really that smart. theme of utilizing my spells as bonus actions. So I'm mm -hmm. always kind of keeping that cadence, helping me understand as a new player, my action is dedicated to my weapon, my bonus action is dedicated to my spells. And then once you get more comfortable with that, you can start branching out and trading out spells or doing different things with them if you want to. A um, couple other things that I've and, got. And that's, and that's really unique for a full caster class. Like exactly. a cleric, like typically speaking, a cleric is using their actions for spells a lot of the times, you know, and, and the bonus actions, sometimes like spiritual weapon and stuff like that, but, but, but really struggling to put damage in unless that damage is coming from a spell. And I love the idea of, of you know, very simplistically saying, I'm dedicating my action towards doing this big strike with a crossbow, but still serving that support sort of protector yeah. role through bonus action. That's really smart. Yeah, Thanks. I played a cleric. When I played the, this style of cleric, you really, like, you have healing word, shield of faith, spiritual weapon, spiritual guardians yep. eventually. Like, uh, and then there's another, there's another spirit one very similar to spiritual guardians. All guardians of, those of spells, faith. Guardians of faith. All of those spells are bonus actions. And then, you know, you can dedicate your main action uh, that plus your channel divinity is a bonus action. And I'll say this, um, you know, uh, Gibby undersold that a little bit. The ability to hand out a D6 plus your proficiency modifier in temporary hit points every single round. And yeah, you don't nutty. have to concentrate on it. So somebody can come in, get, you know, at the end of their turn, grab a D6 plus two hit points at level two, leave, get hit, get whacked for eight, Probably absorb most of it. Come back, get a D6 plus two. It's constant, nonstop healing as long as people end within 30 foot of you. Your party at level two becomes basically unkillable until level four once you pop channel divinity. I mean, it, it's it is, pretty absurd. And, and it's a, but back. it's a, it's a once per long rest thing, though. I think no, right? it's a once per short rest ability. Ooh, so you yes, can it is. regain it after a short rest of channel divinity. It makes that ability alone is just it's just pure nutty and you get uh the tiny hut spell uh while you're oh, playing this class yep, as well which allows you to create like shelters while you're out and you would think oh that's not all that valuable it is actually way better than what you might think uh, it gives you the ability to get your party a long rest when they typically wouldn't be able to get one um which is really really cool so anyways i'm sorry gibby i i said interrupt because no some of I... those abilities are just Nutty, they're so bonkers. They're yeah, so I mean, and to your point about the temporary hit points, one spell that I did choose at second level was called, uh, it's called Warding Bond. So essentially you give resistance to all damage. Um, mm. So basically they take half damage. Um, you, you touch a creature and they take half damage on everything and they get a plus one to their AC. But anytime they take damage, you also take the same damage. But if you're giving yourself eight temporary hit points that can't stack every single turn. That's a great point. Um and they take, let's say they take six damage, you also take the six damage. Let's, let's say they take 12. You'll take the six, they take six because it gets halved. And then the next turn, you gain take temporary hit points again, which you either have to uh, take all of the eight or or keep the two that you already still have. Any remaining temporary hit points, you can't stack them. You have to either choose one pool or the other. You just take the eight that you just got and refill your, your temporary hit points again. So it kind of replaces itself cyclically if you can kind of make it work that way. And it's not a concentration spell, I don't believe. So it's it just kind of stays like no. that. 
Yeah, you can actually have a concentration spell up with channel divinity up at the same time. Exactly. So you can have spiritual mm -hmm. weapons swinging as a bonus action. Spiritual weapons is actually not concentration. No, it's not. Oh, spiritual weapons. It's not absurd. It's a bonus so action to cast too. It also you can fits have channel the bonus divinity, action. Spiritual weapon. You can have spiritual weapon up, channel divinity up, and spiritual guardians up, like all yes. the same time. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, and warding bonds. So, so you're so you're constantly it's crazy. helpful. Yeah. You, the, the longer the fight goes, the better the Twilight Cleric like does for you. It, you know, it's. I mean, I I think it's fair to say. Although I think Gibby, you know, you you've optimized the attack options, which I think is smart because I typically like. I think we can all sort of agree that Twilight Cleric may be the strongest subclass in the entire game. Wow, um, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, but but I will say that it's one of the ones that it has, like, the returns come over the course of multiple rounds. On round one, it can't do anything that's, like, crazy explosive, like cast Fireball. But the longer the fight goes, the more value you get from from the, the cleric. Yeah. Plus, you've got the initiative bonuses and stuff that can really help out rogues and stuff yeah. like that to do that bursty damage. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that that's crazy. And I love the idea of, like, okay... This thing doesn't have a lot of damage. Well, now it does. Say hello to Sharpshooter. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and, we, and this is something that if you've never played D and D, or if you, even if you are an experienced D and D player, let me shape your mindset about D and D and the way you play it for a minute, if you don't mind. DBN and I have talked about this at nauseum with each other. Some of the most creative and fun and entertaining and enjoyable moments in D and D are when things don't go right. Yep. Or when things when sure. it, when spells miss, when attacks go haywire, when you roll a nat one on something important and things kind of go into chaos, or when you mm -hmm. try to do something creative and it doesn't work and your DM is good about flavoring what that looks like, or when you get a kill on an enemy and they say, How do you want to do this? And you come up with a flavorful way that ends up kind of shaping the way that you your character thinks about combat or something out of combat in the future. Those are the kind of things when things fail that it's fun to do. This class, hopefully, because it will have just as many success moments on these big sharpshooter attacks that at level one, you could very well hit an attack and do 18 damage and smite someone out the gate. That's sure. going to be really cool, but it's also going to be really cool if you make it cool when you miss and you're happy yeah. about that and you're having fun with that. So I think it's not always about the successes in D&D. We're diving super heavy into like mechanics and builds and stuff like that. But but the thing of the like the truth of D and D, the thing that I think makes it so that there there is no monolithic experience. Everybody experiences D and D and has different preferences of D and D in different ways. Because there are truly, and I've played with people that truly treat it like a war game, right? Sure. And and they want to, uh, you know, they only care about fighting, and the story is literally a plot device to get to do fights. That's not how I prefer to play. But there are people who do it that way. And I think that in that case, maybe this build with the sharpshooter being less consistent isn't what they want to do. But at the same time, I find that to to put Gibby's point into further perspective, because it was great, d and is, is the most fun when it creates drama. Like dramatic tension is the core of what D&D is about, in my opinion. And that's how I prefer to play. And so having those high rolly situations or those really niche spells that, yeah, 90% of the time you don't get to use them because they're not combat spells. But then in the big moment in a you know role-playing encounter or in a heist scenario, you say, oh, by the way, 
I have the knock spell and I can unlock any lock. Like mm. that's awesome. And that's what the kind of stuff that I love. And and that's where um you know uh get you know creations like what we've what we're doing tonight I think is really interesting because there's so much creativity you can put into them that can add to that sort of balance between a game because it is a game with levels and stats and also a storytelling medium so um but mark Very do you want to do you want to tell us about your character yeah yeah absolutely um sorry so give me, me were, you, were you, you done i am done go for it bro. okay i didn't want to if you had some other trick no. up your sleeve i didn't want to cut no it no, off. no that's that's it oh by the way as you're we talking about utility and fun situations i did take water walk classic <laughs> you know because because you never classic know, you never know when you need to walk on water that's right well what I have built is if you are Timmy and you like to see big numbers and uh, and crazy stuff and you are Spike and you like to be the most powerful character in the group, I have made the class that matches both Timmy and Spike. And I can't even do all of the math that adds up the type of damage that this class is capable of doing. So if your goal is to not die and absolutely frustrate and wreck every one of the boss monsters your DM places against you, this is hands down got to be the class for you. And I have created a level eight version, a level nine version, and a level 12 version that gets better and better as it goes on. Now, all characters get better as they go on, but this is a way to say I don't want to just play one class. It's not actually a hard build to play. It's going to do the same thing most of the time, but what it does, it's going to do incredibly well. So you're going to start off by playing a Wood Elf. The reason you're going to play Wood Elf is you want the plus two to Dexterity and the plus one to Wisdom. That being said, if you're not playing, you know, Tasha's variant and you can play something else. But one of the other things you're going to want in Wood Elf is the ability to hide even if you are obscured, which is one of the Wood Elf's natural abilities. Even if you're obscured, you're able to roll a hide check. Keeping that in mind, those are good things. When you start building your character, you're going to want to go, if you're going point by system, you're going to want to put a 15 in your dexterity. So you're able to start off with that 17 dexterity, making you just one point away from the 18 sort of sweet spot, the plus four on stuff. Um, this build, if you're not rolling stats, likely may not max your dex modifier, but it's probably not going to matter. After you play a wood elf and put that 17 in dexterity, what you're going to do is you're going to go ranger. Now you're thinking ranger. Why would I go ranger? Because if you've watched any videos on the internet, the ranger is the worst class in the game, which is true. But if you have Tosh's Cauldron of Everything and you have Xanathar's Guide to Everything, then it's not the worst class in the game because you can begin fleshing out and mixing in some other stuff. Specifically, you can get expertise, which allows you to double your proficiency bonus in a skill. And you're going to choose at level two, or it might be level one that you can get that variant. You're going to choose stealth so that you can double your proficiency bonus in stealth. And at level three, you're going to choose what arguably might be the second most busted subclass in the game, which is the Gloom Stalker for Ranger, which you're going to find in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. At level three, the Gloom Stalker Ranger. So you're going to get some spells as well. Let me be really clear. You're going to get a few spells as Ranger. By level three, you'll have a couple of spells. Your goal is to never choose a spell that it requires your opponent to rule or requires you to attack. All of your spells are going to be utility. Specifically, your first two spells are going to be Hunter's Mark and Zephyr Strike. Zephyr Strike allows you 
to while you concentrate on it, you do not provoke opportunity attacks when you move away from somebody. And uh, you can invoke it once per round to double your movement that round, and your next strike hits for an extra D8 points of damage. You're going to take Hunter's Mark, because it's one of the most powerful spells in the game. It takes a bonus action to cast it, just like Zephyr Strike. It's going to mark somebody as your quarry, letting you do an extra D6 with every attack that hits your quarry, which is a very important thing as well. So at level three, you're going to go with Gloomstalker Ranger. Gloomstalker Ranger is primarily going to double your dark vision range. So you're going to go from a 30 to a 60 foot dark vision. It's going to allow you to add your wisdom modifier to your initiative. Now, likely putting you at a plus, uh, you were at a plus three initiative. You're probably now sitting at a plus five initiative, which is very strong. Um, and then it's going to give you something uh, after Umbral Sight. The second part of doubling the range of your dark vision is if a creature would require dark vision to see you, you will now be invisible to it. Invisible to it. So if something fights you at night and it has dark vision written on its sheet and it's using dark vision to see you, you are now invisible to that creature. Let me just say, when I played this character, um, it destroys your DM. Like everything suddenly has to get blindsight because it's so hard to play around. Or a torch. <laughs> Or a torch, yes, or something that's going <laughs> to allow it to see you. But it's a very strong ability, right? Because you're typically setting ambushes, getting opening attacks that are really strong. And then, on top of that, with your Dread Ambusher ability, I believe is what it's called, when you attack somebody and it is your first action of the combat, this does not mean that you have to ambush them, you don't have to catch them off guard, just your first action of the combat, this is going to allow you to make a second attack on that first turn. So you're going to get one attack. Your second attack is going to deal a D8, which allows you to bonus action, Hunter's Mark, attack for a D8 plus a D6 plus your Dexterity modifier, and then attack again for 2D8 plus a D6 plus your Dexterity modifier at level one. And then it gets better, or at level three. And then it gets better. At level four, you don't take a stat bonus, you take your first feat, and you take Elven Accuracy, which I believe comes from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which increases your dexterity I to love an that 18. Feat. Yes, and when you attack with advantage, you can now re-roll one of your dice. So if you attack from ambush, you get to roll twice, take the lower of the two, and re-roll it. Probably one of the most powerful things to fish for criticals in the entire game. It's pretty bonkers. At level five, you finish your ranger levels at level five, allowing you to attack twice. So now on your opening round of combat, you may attack three times because of Dread Ambusher, and one of those attacks does an extra D8 points of damage. At level, uh, the next three levels you're going to take, you take six, seven, and eight, which is where we'll round it out at. You're going to go into Fighter. What Fighter allows you to do is allows you at level one to take another weapon expertise, so you can get Blind Sight if you'd like, or Blind Fighting if you'd like. Um, so you can see stuff that's close to you, even if you're blinded. Um, at level two, you're going to get Action Surge, which is going to allow you on that first round of combat to hit for two attacks plus a third attack that hits for an extra D8, and then Action Surge to attack two more times, allowing you to attack five times on your first turn, every single one of them, hitting for a D8 plus a D6 that hit, plus your Dexterity modifier, which is now a four. And then at level three of Fighter, which is level eight total, you're going to take the Arcane Archer class. The Arcane Archer comes from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. This allows you to gain three different types of magical arrows that you can shoot, and you can invoke one per round, which means, or one per round per set of attacks, 
which means you can now Hunter's Mark for a D6 on every one of your attacks, attack five times because of Action Surge, and rule three on each of those if you're ambushing them, rule three D20s, fishing for crits, and then it allows you to invoke your bow when you do crit in order to shoot an arcane shot, and if you take one of the damage ones that they don't get to roll anything on, you could just take an extra 2d6 points of damage that's crit damage, rolling twice for that arcane shot and giving you a special ability. Now that in and of itself is nutty. The amount of damage that you can do in one turn with just ambush, action surge, dread ambusher is nuts. Like the numbers are crazy. Like you'll drop one of your DM's monsters almost every time as long as it's not a boss. The crazier part is when we go to level uh, nine and you take a fourth level in fighter, do not take the bonus and instead take sharpshooter, which allows you to take that minus five to add a plus 10 damage to all five of your opening attacks that all three, all five get to roll three D20s in order to try to get the hit, which is virtually going to guarantee that every one of your attacks, if it's not a magical bow, is going to hit for a D8 plus a D6 plus 14. All five attacks. Well, the five attacks are only one turn. Like you only, only get one it turn. once. You only get it once, but it's an insane once. Yes. And, <laughs> and, it's and where is the fifth attack coming from front. again? Uh, the fifth attack allows because you get two attacks because of yeah. your normal attack. You take uh, two extra attacks on your action because of action surge. Mm -hmm. And Dread Ambusher, whenever it's right. your first round each round, you get an extra attack. So it lets you attack five times That's absurd. on that first round with your bonus action. If you'll give me even a little bit further, um, you can take three levels in Rogue and pick up the Assassin subclass which means that every one of your attacks that hit, every one of your attacks that hit um, on the first round, if you're ambushing somebody um, that have advantage, every one of those attacks automatically crit. So you hit and every one attacks crits, very likely rolling three dice with this D8 plus D6 plus 14. And one of them is gonna hit for two D8 plus a D6 plus 14. And one of them is going to hit for an extra 2d6 because of your arcane shot. The amount of damage that ends up coming out of this build is about, uh, it's 68. Uh, and if you multiply that, because if you crit on each one is absolutely nutty. And then you're going to hit for five for 76, which would all be doubled if you crit on them, which likely you will, because you're likely going to hit with three d20s. Um, that you get to roll, and then you're going to get 14 times 5 to put on top of that. So the amount of damage that this class, this build can do. Now, the next round, you're going to shoot twice. And the and next round, and the next round, they're going to cast Hold Person on you. Yes, yes. But, but, but <laughs> likely, if you need to soak up a Hold Person as a ranger, you've done your job. But likely, you've killed the dragon, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, the dragon's already dead, guys. <laughs> yeah. The dragon's dead. His cronies. This class is this class is bonkers. It's completely ridiculous. Um, the amount of damage that I've been playing this a little bit. I'm level four right now, so I and I actually rolled stats well, so I picked up sharpshooter early, fey accuracy later. Um, yeah, like the uh, their builds are so different than mine because both of their builds are like let's help the other players let's make them do really well we get better the longer that we go we restore ourselves on short rests and my character's like 
100% glass cannon. He's just one punch man. You are, you are really one punch man. It's really what it is. One round, man. <laughs> uh, so, so what Mark was trying to accomplish by giving you guys this build one is if you really just want to like make somebody cry and do your a DM, lot of damage, specifically, specifically yeah. your DM, mm-hmm. uh, play this build. Also, we're trying to boost our numbers for how many minutes our viewers watch our episode because I think everybody on average is going to have to listen to this episode about three times to keep up with the track yeah. of how much mm-hmm. damage <laughs> your build is doing and keep track of all of the dice so that way when they try to regurgitate it, regurgitate it to the DM when they're playing this build, they're going to be like, oh, but, but 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 the guy on the podcast said a D8 and then a D6. <laughs> they're just going to hold up their phone and play the recording. And then a 2D. This is what I'm doing with my turn. They just hold up their phone and just hit play <laughs> at, at minute mark 45. I'll have to do the math and actually figure out, like, how much damage does this actually you know, max out at? Because it's almost impossible. I don't need a character sheet. I just need this podcast. I just Yeah. You know what's interesting about this, though? Um not only so so not only is it very very powerful right um and i'll be it it's a it's an incredible turn one you know in a, in a combat um but what it's gonna do that might be even worse is it's gonna force the dm to start doing things like ensuring that all the fights are like in daylight if they can or like wow everything is suddenly magically lit wow <laughs> you know and, and it's just gonna be hilarious to watch you know the dm struggle to make it challenging while your allies now are not not even being thought about by the dm and whatever they do the dm like didn't even think of <laughs> Oh wow! The it's bad ridiculous. guy magically got an ambush on the ranger every single encounter. Yeah! Wow! He's oh, he's got range. a thirty armor a class. Oh, what a bummer! Hit. He's so- got counter spell and he's only using it on you. For the record, if you did like, if you did max the math across it, if you crit on everyone and, and you like literally maxed damage, the max damage on turn one is two hundred and fifty points of damage at that level twelve mark. I mean, um, not going to happen often, but no, could happen. No, never. Would never happen, but the point is like, the, the low end of that is, is is low, though, because like there's so many dice in it if you just rolled a lot of ones. Um, but you're you're going to gather like this grouping of dice in your hand. It's going to be hilarious. It's just going to be like amazing on the turn that you go off. Um, yeah, and it does it does you know, completely very much like the Twilight Cleric. Your DM mm-hmm. has to change the way they run the game after you go this build. You just have to turn There's, up the volume on your mic whenever you have to roll the dice, and then just grab all those dice in your hand, and then just really let your DM, especially if it's virtually, hear all of those dice hitting the table. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a yes. scary sound. You know, you know, it's funny because um, I think that um, Wizards of the Coast, uh, the, the the company that you know, Prince D&D and, and stuff like that. I think they've done a great job of bouncing the ranger back. I've been thinking about this from the last couple of books. Um, the player's handbook, like, you know, when 5, 5e, 5th edition first came out, the ranger was El Garbo. I mean, it yeah, really it was, was bad. bad. And everybody loves the ranger fantasy. Like, everybody wants to do cool, like, Aragorn-y, Legolas-y things, right? Or or have, like, a pet, like a beast that can roam around with them and fight with them. But it just isn't good. And, and you know, I mean, at my table for the longest time, we had to rely on an alternate version of the ranger that I allowed people to play because they wanted that experience. But it just, it literally could not keep pace you know, with fighters or barbarians and, and barbarians aren't even that good at dealing damage, but they'd still end up outclassing. Right. So, um, 
you know, it's really interesting or, or paladins, paladins being huge damage dealers too. So like, it's, it's, it's really interesting though, that like the, they've not only kind of buffed up the, uh, kind of basic abilities with some optional new features in the ranger, which you didn't even use all of the, the optional additional abilities, Mark. I noticed that, um, that yep. they printed. Um, they redid the Beastmaster class so that you could really kind of utilize that beast more frequently in combat. Um, you know, they've they've added uh, some more powerful subclasses. I, I've actually played with the Swarm Keeper at my table, and that was pretty potent too. You know, and, and it really seems to be that that identity of Ranger is shifting more towards assembling a bunch of dice to add to your attack rolls. You know, you've got yeah. a D6 with Swarm Keeper. You've got a D6 from a spell like Hunter's Mark. You've got a D4 from this other thing. And you're, you've are you got a big fistful of dice on your attacks to, to throw. And I think that that's a really interesting direction for them to go to go in and to really make that experience, you know, viable for people. And there is a new very powerful Ranger subclass that just came out in the Dragon's Book, which is like a mm-hmm. Drake Master that allows you to get uh, like a non-flying drake like that a, eventually i think can fly and you can actually ride uh as yep. the ranger which is super cool if you if you're playing like a real dragon themed game um which i'm not gonna like i i just got a 3d printer and so i found this uh this stl file pack that has a bunch of like dragon cultists and half dragons and i'm like oh man now i want to play and run a play dragon a drake warden because like yeah now i want to play drake yeah. warden. it'd be really cool um like I, I like I literally like a, a dragonborn Drake Warden would be so think, cool. Be dope. Yeah. Be so really cool. cool. So anyway, that's our builds. That's our builds, guys. Uh, and I hope that you like them. I hope that you like them. I thought that they went well. Uh, I, I loved each of your builds. I love how very unique each of our builds was um, like. And it just shows like if you can be like a, a one shot glass cannon assassin with a bow and arrow. Or you can play uh, a guy, a culinary aficionado in combat, who's dropping, <laughs> who's dropping crumpets down people's throats with a homunculus. <laughs> so um, cool. Or you I love them. I love it. A, a heavy armor wielding, crossbow shooting, um, magic caster who's keeping your party alive while also just nuking stuff with a heavy crossbow. It just shows you the variance that's in Dungeons and Dragons, and oh, we yeah. didn't even begin scratching the surface with the builds that you could. Do, oh man, you know? I had three other builds that sounded fun that I was thinking of doing. Next time we do this, and I would love to do this again, mm-hmm. I'm gonna max out movement speed on a character Ooh. to get the okay, most monk. amount of movement speed you can possibly get, and I'm gonna have my character role play the Flash. He's only Ooh. allowed to move in a straight <laughs> line. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. This has been an episode of The Mulligan, and uh, we're going to release an episode, I think, kind of alongside this one of Legends Cast talking about LOR. Mm-hmm. But uh, thank you for so much for tuning in, and be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.